Hey guys, and welcome to the Bare Naked Health Podcast, where I interview the absolute best health and wellness practitioners from across the globe to show you what they do so you can do it too. This is because, like you, I did not always feel that health was easy. I tried different diets, exercise plans, but often felt misled by an industry that really thrives on you not getting healthy and always spending money on the next new thing. Because of this, I'm getting bare naked on health and pulling back the curtain to show you that being truly healthy is simple. Wherever you are in your health journey, I want to show you that with minimal effort, you can get maximum results and do what you love. Play with your kids, go for a hike, and crush it in your business all while feeling great. To give a kickstart, I encourage you to go over to BarenakedHealthPodcast.com to access my calendar and schedule a 15-minute call so we can discuss what is your biggest struggle when it comes to maintaining your health. Remember that I'm a holistic lifestyle coach and that the show is really sponsored by you guys. Each of you that works with me that I am able to take on as a client helps me to be able to keep putting out these podcasts for free. So I just want to thank you, each of you, for your love and support. Hey guys, I'm your host, Nick Horowski, and welcome to the Bare Naked Health Podcast, episode number 97. In today's episode, I interview Dr. Joe Tata. Be sure to stick around for the end of the show to hear all about Dr. Joe's new book, Heal Your Pain Now, how job satisfaction relates to musculoskeletal pain, as well as chatting on readiness to change. All right, guys, and welcome back to another episode of Bare Naked Health Podcast. Today on the line, I have Joe Tata. Now, Joe, first question I ask everybody who comes on the show is, tell us about your health journey in 10 sentences or less. Wow, 10 sentences or less, Nick. That's, um, that's an interesting one. Well, uh, let's see, sentence one. My mom was <laughs> a nurse, and um, I watched her not only take care of uh, – children with cancer when I was much younger. She worked in a, in a hospital where she did adolescent cancer medicine. So she was a big inspiration on me going into healthcare and becoming a, a physical therapist. But I also watched her go through her own health struggles. So I watched someone who, you know, I loved and I held in high esteem, who did wonderful things for other people, you know, kind of have to negotiate her own health challenges and the healthcare system on her own. Um, two, when I was uh, three years old, my parents stuck me in a class called Swim and Gym at a local YMCA where it was a half hour of swimming classes and a half hour of gymnastics classes. And I just took off with gymnastics. And I, you know, I'm, if you see me online, you may not know how, how tall or short I am, but I'm only about 5'7". So um, it's kind of the perfect height to excel in a sport like gymnastics. I'm, I'm mostly like a, a fast twitch athlete, so I love that sport. Um, that's but, not a swimmer's body, yeah. <laughs> no, no, I don't like to run long distances or swim or any of that stuff. Um, <laughs> um, so that was kind of ingrained, you know, at an early age of just, you know, athletics and, and movement um, and how important that is for the body. Um, then, of course, going through physical therapy school, you know, you obviously get educated. What am I up to five sentences? Um, Again, it's just sentence. a brief history and then we can dive into certain things. So, yeah. Yeah. I've had my own struggle with chronic back pain and I've had also had my own struggle with autoimmune disease. So um, that kind of wraps me up as a, as a whole, as an individual. And then, of course... Um, you know, working with, with patients one-on-one who have chronic pain, you know, you, you learn the most from your patients. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Joe? 
Yeah, I'm here. Oh, Can you? Sorry, there. Yeah. Sorry, guys. Uh, got lost there for a second. Joe, so, sorry. You were saying uh, low back pain, the autoimmune, but you still learning a bunch from the patients. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, no matter how many courses you take, and no matter how many studies you read, and um, you know, books you can pick up. They're all really wonderful and they all should be part of, you know, if you're a clinician, that's part of your journey. You take into your education courses, there's always something new to, 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 to learn from. But, you know, taking those principles and applying them to your patients or your clients and seeing how they work and, and what doesn't work can not only teach you how to improve your practice, but I think it also teaches you a lot about your own health. Um, so that's, that's kind of my journey right there. Well, if you wouldn't mind sharing uh, just some of the, like you said, the, the autoimmune conditions, the low back pain, uh, because I think this ties, hey, recently uh, wrote a book then too uh, on like just healing pain. Like how yeah. have you taken that journey, especially with the low back pain, the autoimmune condition uh, and brought it together to be able to share it to people? Yeah. So I talk about some of this in my book, Heal Your Pain Now, but the, the back pains first, I mean, I, as, an, as an athlete, as a gymnast, I actually had very few injuries. I had a couple ankle sprains and some rotated cuff tendonitis. Um, but when I stopped competing and I said, okay, I need to study full time and focus on physical therapy school, which can be time consuming. Um, about two years into that, I had excruciating back pain. And, you know, typical pain in my lower back, in my left buttock that ran down the back of my leg. Um, you know, went to see all the professors. So what was, was, was great is I was in PT school. So, I, you know, right to them and they started treating me. But of course, you know, being good clinicians, they said, well, and this was 1996. So this is kind of almost like a different time era in the world of, of physical therapy and pain. They said, well, you know, let's get you checked out by a physician. So I went to a physician, had the x-ray, had the MRI. They put me on an anti-inflammatory, which totally ripped apart my stomach. And they said, you know, you have this herniated disc in your back and, you know, we should, you know, maybe take care of this through either surgery and things like that. And I was like, you know, at this point I was already in PT school. So I was like, well, I'm like, I'd like to try to treat this, you know, conservatively first and, and see what happens. So if I wasn't educated, and I think the work that you and I do is important because not only do we treat patients, but we educate people in our clinics, we educate people online that you know there are other options to to heal from pain and a lot of them actually work better than some of the surgical options um so i, I treated that conservatively but i realized in somewhere in school i realized okay there, there may be something biomechanical going on because i'm sitting probably upwards of like 14 to 18 hours a day depending on what course and, and, <laughs> and semester we were in um but i also realized that okay for the first time in my life i'm stressed out I've got student loans on my back. I've got, you know, a new scenario where I have to, you know, maintain a certain grade point average. I'm in clinic now where, you know, you're being challenged on a daily basis. So stress comes into your life. So, you know, I started to really look at pain at, you know, kind of from a young age. At that point, I was only about probably 24 years old that, okay, obviously how we move and how strong we are and the structure and function of our joints is important, but there's also something else going on, um, you know, kind of on a more psychosocial level. Um, and I, th I think it's, you know, we can't ignore that in, in our patients. It's something that we have to bring into our own, our own practice and into our own lives. Um, so that's kind of the back pain story. The autoimmune story is something that's really interesting that I spent a lot of years working on. I've been to ooh, probably upwards of 20 different types of physicians trying to figure it out. So when I was about 22 years old, I went on vacation um, to Cancun, Mexico, had a wonderful time, but I broke out head to toe in a rash. 
um, on every single part of my body. I mean, even where the sun doesn't shine, there were there were spots. And at the same time, I had joint pain in my fingers and my back and my elbows and my shoulders, you know, parts of my body that, you know, I couldn't direct toward like, let's say my activity or, or an injury or things like that. So I had a shot of cortisone um, that resolved it very rapidly within about 24 hours. And for a period of time for about probably about five years, whenever I went into the sun, if I wasn't exposed to it, like just a little bit, I would get these reactions that would happen all the time. They put me on cortisone, constantly putting me on cortisone. cortisone. And as you know, cortisone is a powerful anti-inflammatory, but it can also do horrible things like cause you know bone thinning and um, cause changes in your gut and all sorts of other you know physiologic changes. So through the study of nutrition and functional medicine, I found out that I had an autoimmune disease, one of the kind of rare autoimmune diseases out there um, that aren't quite heard of. And I learned how to heal that naturally through mostly a, a, a nutritional approach um, by keying into certain diet, dietary factors, certain nutritional factors, and certain types of supplements. So what kind of, what kind of shift did you make? Like, what, what did that look like for you? Like, okay, wow, food actually does affect what I eat. Like, did, did you, was there, there uh, an aha moment where it's like, hey, when I take this out, I feel better. I don't have this joint pain. I can go out into the sun and not have these reactions. Yeah. Uh, or did it take a lot of just trial and error over and over and over? Well, you know, as a physical therapist, we know some of this information. It, it's taught to us in school or we get it, you know, in continuing education courses or working with patients. Like if you look at lupus patients, um, a majority of lupus patients also have skin conditions um, that they react to. And, you know, oftentimes we're like rubbing things on the skin where obviously, you know, these kind of biochemical or biochemistry nutritional factors are happening obviously in the body. So for me, it's, it was, you know, it was really kind of like another rung on the ladder uh, figuring out what, you know, keeps someone healthy, obviously. Um, you know, we know that movement and nutrition is probably about 80% of what keeps someone healthy. Um, but when you experience it in your own body, it's always a very different type of, um, you know, transformation that happens versus kind of coaching or educating someone on it. So, you know, I think as physical therapists, we've done a, a, an awesome job at functional movement, at exercise, um, some of the new pain science that's coming out. I think the one thing we have to maybe, you know, grasp on a little bit more strongly too is the nutritional part and to look at our patients and say, okay, do our patients have metabolic syndrome? Do they have obesity? Do they have diabetes? Do they have an autoimmune condition? And what can I do for them in addition to movement that's going to help them, you know, heal their pain and, and cure their health problems? Now, how do you try and reach out to people with that? Because I find that Sometimes even even just bringing up the topic, uh, people get very defensive. So I'm just curious on sometimes with other people how they go about that to just hey try and address it. I mean, certain people are certainly more open to it than others, but mm -hmm. sometimes it's hey you know you've cleaned up. Hey, mechanically, they're looking good. Like you've done as much as you can, but it still isn't cleaning up because there are other factors that just flat out come into play. Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And I, the answer to that really is, uh, as a, uh, you know, we're talking now as a clinician, how do you approach your patients? And I really think you have an opportunity the first visit to sit down with your patient, obviously, and talk to them and say, you know, you're having, I don't know, let's throw something out there, back pain. There are mechanical issues for back pain. There are stress-related issues for back pain. And there are also nutritional issues for back pain. 
during our visit, during our first visit today, I'm going to give you, you know, maybe some functional assessments to see how you are in those specific areas. You may need, let's say, a little bit more um, or more of an intervention in the movement area versus the nutrition area, depending on who you are. Now, obviously, if that patient is sitting in front of you and, you know, they have a BMI of 40 and they're diabetic, you have to obviously say to them first visit, like, I'm going to get you started with some exercise that you're going to do here in the, in the office with me and you're going to do at home as well. However, there are definitely some nutritional strategies you have to work in to decrease inflammation in your body, to regulate, you know, certain horm hormones such as cortisol or insulin. Um, you know, as a practitioner, I really think it's your job kind of the first visit to bring up some of these talking points. And obviously the first visit, you're not going to, you know, go way into depth in, in the nutritional strategies, but you just kind of lay in that, that groundwork and that foundation. And it's also an opportunity for you to kind of feel that person out. Now, obviously people have different levels of readiness for change, so to speak. So if that person's like, you know what, I don't want to change my diet. I love eating the way I eat. It's just kind of what I do. You may have to, you may have to revisit that later on, let's say at visit four, when the person's exercising, you, you develop somewhat more of a kind of practitioner-patient relationship that's a strong bond, and you can, you know, more readily or easily win them over. Um, the other thing is, you know, if you're from a marketing perspective, if on your website, if on your business card, you list kind of the, pro the services you offer, people will read that and they'll know coming into the first visit that, okay, when I sit down with, you know, Nick, he's probably going to talk to me about movement, but he's probably also going to talk to you about some nutritional changes. And you know what? My diet's not perfect, and I can probably work on, on some of those. No, and, and I like that. And other people I've talked to uh, that are really in, in the same world here, they like to address the same thing. I think it's that first visit can go a long way, saying like, okay, well, we're not going to just work on one thing, because if we do that and that's not the only cause, you're going to be disappointed. And I'm going to be letting you down too. I mean, I think that's that's fair to say. But it's Interesting. There's all, it's always a multifactorial process and being upfront with that. And then it's okay. I know you're here. Like I'm a physical therapist. Yeah, sure. We're going to work on the movement, but as you said, then it's the feeling out, like what else are they ready for at that time? Because if they're not ready for other things, you can't help them with it no matter what. Uh, and, but I want to go off on this because you're big on the movement, you're big on the nutrition, but you're also Joe, big on the mind, right? where how that all comes into play. So if you wouldn't mind sharing, like what does the mind really have to deal with this chronic pain then as well? Well, you know, we've learned a, a whole lot of information probably the past, you know, 10 years about chronic pain and how there are neuroplastic or neurobiological changes that happen in someone's brain and spinal cord. Um, I think it's something that we really have to, to work on with patients and, you know, that may be during your first or second visit, you just spend some time educating people about what pain is and what pain isn't. But I think there are key concepts that you weave into your treatment sessions throughout as you're working with people that you try to help educate them um, as to what pain really is. And I think that the biggest challenge for us as physical therapists is that oftentimes, and this is changing, but oftentimes we are the last resort or we're the last stop that people get to. They've been to, the ortho they've been to their primary care physician They've been to the orthopedic surgeon, they've been to the physiatrist, and they've been told a lot of stories. They've been told a lot of things about what pain really is. And by the time they get to us, and I really think physical therapists really are, are, are pivotal in our healthcare system as far as healing pain and reversing our chronic pain epidemic. But once they get to us, we I spend a lot of time just kind of, kind of busting the myths around pain um, and the things they've been told about 
what chronic pain is, how chronic pain is going to be in their life, that they're going to have to manage it, that it's not something that can be cured. It's something they're going to have to constantly work on. And we know that that's not really true, that chronic pain is something that can be healed if you're giving it the right, you know, intervention. And, you know, I love kind of what we were talking about before, because ultimately there's not just one, if pain is an experience, so pain is an experience based on a multitude of different factors, then as a clinician, we have to say, okay, let's work on all the factors that I'm discovering in your initial evaluation, looking at your lifestyle. Let's work on those various factors. And the mindset is, is really a big one. Because if someone comes to you and they, says, and they say, I have fibromyalgia, and the doctor told me I'm going to have this for, for the rest of my life, and I'm just going to have to manage it, you're really starting with someone who probably has a poor outlook on what their outcome is going to be from the work they're going to do with you. Now, everyone may be a little bit different, so that person may say, well, if my pain is 8 out of 10, if they're telling me it's chronic, then maybe I can get my pain down to 4 out of 10, but it's never going to be a 1 out of 10. And those are things that are important to, to kind of pull out of your patient when you start with them, because the limiting beliefs are, are, are really huge in, in you know, working with a patient, trying to get them past those beliefs. What do you see as some of the biggest limiting beliefs uh, that you run into with patients or maybe even what were some of the biggest limiting beliefs you had for yourself in really being able to get through your your low back pain through your autoimmune condition yeah i mean years ago when i went to school in in, in 1996 i mean like like we said pain science and physical therapy has come a long way but at that point it was all about inflammation so if you had pain it meant that the joint was inflamed or the tissue was inflamed and that inflammation hasn't gone away you know, we now know that if you have chronic pain, that that's pain that persists beyond about a three or four month period of time, that typically, unless you have a, unless you have an inflammatory condition like autoimmune disease, that that tissue has gone through the phases of healing, and that the the source of your pain now is your brain. It's your brain outputting pain, and it's not necessarily inflammation that's found in a muscle or a tendon or a ligament or a joint or cartilage. Um, so that's probably the biggest change, and that's oftentimes what I work with people because you know people come into my office with MRIs and X-rays, and they're very focused on looking at the image. And there's a time when that's important, and imaging studies are a wonderful thing; you should have them just to rule out things like cancer or things like infection. However, imaging studies poorly correlate to someone's pain or their pain response. Um, so I may take that imaging study and I may help them frame it differently versus what, let's say, their physician framed it as. Yeah, I think imaging is one of those where uh, it comes down to it's seen as the gold standard when we really know like it's it's not. There's a, a lot of flaws in it. Uh, not that it can't be extremely helpful, as, yeah. as you said there, uh, but it's not the end all be all. I mean, there's still so much more involvement yeah. uh, to it than just looking at somebody's x-ray, MRI, XYZ, whatever it is, and yeah. saying like, oh, well, yeah, it shows this here. Yeah, but it also doesn't show this here, here, and here, and here, and that's still how you're presenting too. Yeah, it's so interesting. I, I have you know a lot of uh, practitioners reach out to me on on Facebook and things like that, and a, and a PT student reached out to me last night actually, and he said, uh, you know, Doctor Joe, I, I I watch your podcast and you know I, I read some of your blog posts. He's like, he's actually a DP student, DPT student at Emory, um, which is an awesome school. He said before physical therapy school, I, I really wanted to go. He said I I was thinking about being a physician. But I didn't really feel like that was the right route for me. I really feel like physical therapy is the right route. However, I really wish we had the ability to run imaging studies and maybe order some medications. 
And I said, well, it's, you know, it's an interesting concept. I said, actually, in the, mil- in the military, PTs do some of those things. So, you know, it may come to um, the private sector. However, we're really learning that a lot of those things, obviously opioids and anti-inflammatories and imaging studies, really don't help when it comes to chronic pain. So in one sense, it'd be nice to have some of those tools to use. But in the other sense, we have to really look at kind of our practice research and, you know, what what is going on in our clinic say okay those things really helping someone long term and the truth the the truth is that the the answer is they they are not really helping people long term yeah unfortunately it it can be helpful but to be on a medication for more than a few weeks or people that where they're on them for months and years i mean there's still obviously something causing that whether like you said hey going back to the biopsychosocial models of stuff like there's still so many different points of involvement here that have to be looked at that most likely haven't been addressed, unfortunately. Uh, but yeah, as, as a student, I think it was, I mean, just thinking back, uh, it was very different, uh, for me too. Like this is you, you only have like such a small bubble of, of what you know of the people that you've seen. So you don't have that, uh, greater impact you don't or not greater impact you don't have that greater vision uh and i think that's where hey for a student asking that like i can understand and i can see where they're coming from but you're still so limited with that ability to see somebody who's been in pain for 20 years and they're still taking the same uh drugs for it their mri still looks the same Mm -hmm. but they're still just presenting the same, like yeah. they haven't changed those things. So yeah, I think it's part of that is just then the experience of being able to get, get, get dirty with these people. Like, Hey, you're finding out what's in the trenches, what's going yeah. on. And that really just goes a long ways too. then. Yeah. What's interesting. I had to really sit back last night after I had this little, you know, instant message exchange on, on um, Facebook. And I said, okay, this is a first year DPT student. So, you know, he's gotten some of the basics down pat. But when I really sit back and I'm listening to his questions, what I really have to think to myself is he knows the answer that it's not drugs and it's not surgery and it's not medications. However, I think all of us are constantly bombarded with the marketing of pharmaceutical companies, um, large surgical centers that put a lot of money behind what they do and, and how they do it. And, you know, it even trickles down into the way we think. And even though we know those things, those, those types of interventions are not going to cure chronic pain, oftentimes we say to ourselves, well, you know, maybe you need a Cinevisc injection. I don't know. And the studies on Cinevisc are, are really quite poor. They don't really do well for the majority of people with osteoarthritis. Um, and look, just looking at the joint and saying someone has arthritis may not even be what we need to be looking at when someone comes into our, our, you know, clinic or comes in for treatment. So it's fascinating to me. Um, it, 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 I think it shows me as, as physical therapists, we still have a lot of room to work toward and a lot of room to make as far as, you know, marketing what we do exactly to patients and how it's going to help them and showing them the positives of that versus something like, you know, an opioid, which can cause everything from addiction to nutrient depletions, to something called hyperalgesia. Um, so yeah, I mean, obviously, if we're talking about someone who's in acute pain, then that may be, I would may want to prescribe an opioid, but the vast majority of, of our, 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 the pain in our country is chronic, and opioids don't work for that. So Joe, I want to shift gears here a little bit, uh, but I'm curious about your diet. Like, all right, 
hey, how do you eat like on a, on a daily basis, day in, day out? What are the things that you're putting in your body that, I mean, hey, are helping you uh, protect yourself from the autoimmune conditions, stop the low back pain from coming back, but just, hey, thriving. I mean, keeping that mind sharp so that you can come up with uh, all of this to share for people. Yeah, it's an awesome question. Um, so my diet, as far as, you know, everyone wants to know what you don't eat first. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I don't eat gluten and I don't eat dairy. Um, those are about the only two things that I, I, you know, stay away from 100% of the time. Um, just because I'm, I'm, you know, extremely gluten intolerant and extremely dairy intolerant and they, they cause inflammation both in your gut and your body if you have those intolerances for, for long periods of time. Um, soy is another thing that I really don't eat. Um, if it's a kind of organic fermented version of soy that you can find, then maybe I'll have a little bit of it, but it's something else that doesn't quite agree with me. And it actually, I, I was just talking to a functional medicine physician of mine who um, sees a lot of men in their 50s and 60s, and he says that men who eat soy have lower levels of testosterone. So I'm like, okay, that's not in my diet, obviously, because yeah, the xenoestrogens coming from there, and the the xeno and the phytoestrogens. I mean, yeah. it's just the same thing as all the plastics too. It's causing the same testosterone drops in males. Yeah. So those those are you know out of my diet. Um, you know, as far as a, a daily basis, like in the morning, I'll have um, you know some eggs with a little bit of a side salad, or I'll have a, a protein shake that I throw in with some coconut milk and. Um, you know, some mixed berries and some flax seeds, things like that. Um, you know, I eat a lot of, um, my, my diet tends to be extremely low carbohydrate. Um, I tend to be a little more on the ketogenic, um, side, although I don't maintain myself in ketosis hundred percent of the time. Um, twice a year for about three weeks, I will put my th myself into ketosis, um, just as a way to kind of switch on, you know, certain things in, in my body, both on a, a, a physiological level as well as a, a neurologic level. There's a, keto di a ketogenic diet is a wonderful way to decrease inflammation because um, you're taking out all complex carbohydrates, taking out things that are oftentimes inflammatory like grains and beans. Um, but it also has really wonderful positive effects um, kind of in the, on the neurobiology of, of your brain and your nervous system. Um, and it kind of regulates the, the glutamate GABA in your brain so that you're not in a state of um, hyperexcitability. It tends to um, wake you up and make you feel well, but not make you uh, kind of hyperexcitable, so to speak. Joe, so I'm, I'm curious because this is something I've been thinking about tinkering around with, my, with myself, but I, I mean, I'm training heavy. I'm training very hard for strongman right now. And mm -hmm. it's one of those, I'm, I'm always... I've done lower-ish carb, uh, and I know that it's just my recovery is not there. I'm curious, like, what does your maybe uh, movement practice look like, and how does that really affect what you're doing? Like, will you change uh, just in general, whether it be your movement or just daily practices during these three-week uh, periods, or do you kind of go about, hey, business as usual? Yeah, that's a great question. So. In the beginning of that kind of ketosis phase, I'll do um, probably about four days of about some HIT training, um, just because it's a really great way to get in ketosis. Like some people have a, some some patients and, and some individuals have a hard time getting into ketosis. Well, do you um, use exogenous ketones too, or do you just do it basically like through normal diet means? Yeah, I'll use some M, uh, I'll use some MCT oil um, with some you know some shakes in the morning and things like that. But for for me personally, I can get into ketosis pretty fast. Um, also being fairly low carb though in, in general helps I'm sure with that. Yeah, I think because my diet is 
low carbohydrates been that way for a long time that I, I don't think it's that difficult for me to shift in ketosis. Okay. Um, for certain women, it can be a problem. And if you have something that's called adrenal fatigue or your adrenals are not functioning 100% of the time, that can mm -hmm. be you know an issue for some people as well. Um, but in the beginning, I'll do the first week, I'll do about four days of HIIT training. But then I'll quiet that down and I'll just do, you know, some strength training, um, you know, mixed in with other movement, you know, things like, you know, I'll take a yoga class or, um, you know, do some, some light cardio. I'm not, like I said before, I'm not a big cardio buff, but, um, that's the only, that's the only way my exercise program would change going into a state of ketosis. Now talking about, uh, some of the, just the adrenal stressors there for, yeah, it's, it's oftentimes seen more so in women, I think just because, Hey, testosterone growth hormone like for men it, it helps protect us from a lot of things uh yeah. but going with that like do you see that people just need sometimes more salt as a, as a protectant or do you notice that yourself like are you using more salt during your periods of ketosis i do i mean i i um, let me let me think about that answer for a minute so i use a lot of salt in my diet in general i've just found that i need a little bit of extra salt to um probably just regulate uh things like blood pressure um and things like fluid balance um just because i exercise a lot and i tend to lose a lot of fluid and, and you know constantly in that state of losing and replenishing for some for some people you have to you have to think of it this way ketosis can be kind of like a shock to the system now when you have that shock to your system it can actually increase cortisol levels when cortisol levels increase, it can affect other hormones. So it can affect, obviously, insulin. It can affect your your all your sex hormones, testosterone, um, estrogen, all the metabolites of those. There's something called a cortisol steal, which is when your body's producing extra cortisol, it'll steal from the other sex hormones. So if that's the state that someone winds up in, obviously this can you can test this, although it's oftentimes difficult to have testing done you know every week you'd have to look at your your sex hormones but before let, let's say you have an autoimmune disease um or you have metabolic syndrome you may want to get tested before just to get a baseline of your cortisol and some of your sex hormones before you start on that and i i don't throw patients into ketosis right away i'll typically take them on an, an, a, a basic elimination diet first and get them pretty low carbohydrate I'll do that for them for about three weeks to two months, depending on who the patient is and how compliant they are. And then I'll, if they're ready for it and they're willing, then I'll try to help them you know, and coach them into a state of ketosis. No, and I really like that. Uh, like t talking about the grains or the gluten, the, some of the dairy, the soy, like get rid of those, drink your water, come back in a month and then we'll talk about uh, kind of what, what to go forward with because just right there can help with just an astronomical uh, amount of things uh, right off the bat. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we have to work with the, the patient who's in front of us. We have to meet them where they are. I had a health coach come to me a couple of weeks ago, and she's tried every single diet out there except a ketogenic diet. So it's really easy for me to, like, you know, give her massive change in her diet, and she accepts it readily. Where obviously, if this is someone who sits at a desk and they've never had, they've never tried any type of diet at all, other than the standard American diet, then, you know, you have to work into these things a little bit slower and you have to meet people where they are and, you know, give them a lot of coaching and support around the, the change that they're going to have in their life over the next, you know, three weeks to three months. So we're talking about a lot of different stressors to the body, whether it be uh, pain, movement, uh, even changing up the diets here, Joe, like what are some of your just favorite good stressors that you like to give yourself throughout the day or throughout the week? 
I mean, exercise is probably the biggest one. I, I think that, you know, everyone should have some kind of movement and exercise in their life. Um, four times a week, I think, is the sweet spot for most people. Um, other types of good, uh, other types of, of positive stress, as you're saying? Yeah, yeah. You know, I, for me, I think having a project <laughs> is a wonderful thing to work on. I think so many of us wind up in jobs where they can be kind of mundane, where you're doing the same thing day in and day out. And, you know, the human body likes change, whether that's physical change, whether that's, you know, mental change. But for me, it's like a project. Okay, what can I insert new into my work life, into my clinic, into my practice? What can I try new that is really going to challenge me kind of on that, you know, mental level? Um, and I think as you challenge yourself, you wind up challenging other people too, because you bring them into that process with you and you bring patients through different types of change and see what, what happens with them. But, um, you know, a project is, is a big one. Um, I think also really sitting down and, and making kind of a list of the top three things that you really don't like to do and saying to yourself, okay, do I not like to do these cause I'm not good at them or do I not like to do them? because I have just a, a lack of a skill set or a barrier. Um, for me, it was, it was you know, public speaking for a long time was, was kind of like that big thing, like I just don't like to do and I would avoid it at every cost. And then what I did was I you know, got a little bit of public speaking training and I would practice more and more and you get better at it. And um, you know, that's true with almost all things in your life. So really trying to find that one thing or those two things that make you just reach out outside of your comfort zone I think is, is a wonderful way to um, – you know, bring some positive stress into your life. All right. So what is the, uh, is the current project still, still, uh, with the big push on the book here or is there anything on the horizon? And, uh, what, what, uh, is the other thing where it's like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to get through this, whether it be, I mean, public speaking definitely happened, but anything <laughs> else that you're working on for yourself right now? Yeah. So, I mean, the, obviously, you know, the book comes out February 7th, um, heal your pain. Now it'll be available in stores. Um, so for me, it's, you know, obviously it's getting the message out there, um, you know, of kind of my, you know, to, to kind of, um, to be frank, uh, you know, when you come out as a physical therapist, I'm saying things that the average physician may not like, well, you're telling me I can't prescribe an opioid. You're telling me that surgery is not the answer. And obviously I'm not saying that for every single patient, but if the, if the national Institute of health, the NIH and the CDC are coming out with these kind of broad guidelines saying that exercise therapy, nutrition, and cognitive behavioral strategies are what helps chronic pain, then I think, you know, I have to become very comfortable delivering the message that if someone has chronic pain, their first stop probably should be a physical therapist's office, preferably one who can not only help them with movement, but also help them with some of the nutrition strategies, and someone who can work in some pain science education. And if, if that doesn't work in the the you know, the behavioral problem is really what they're dealing with. And obviously they need a referral to a pain psychologist, but, you know, just, just getting comfortable that I may be leading, um, a movement or helping lead a movement of like-minded practitioners that are saying, Hey, we think we have the answer. Let's try to do it our way. Let's change that pain paradigm. So that's just, that's a comfort level. Um, the other thing for me is that I, I have a plan to start an institute, um, where I educate and train, uh, practitioners on natural ways to to cure chronic, chronic pain or cure cure their health problems um so that'll be that kind of the big project that i have to kind of um start to work on the next six months to a year basically so what is that institute what do you see that uh kind of looking like what's the what's the vision for that yeah so for me you know my mission is to change the our current paradigm around around pain around treating pain 
um, with natural strategies first. Um, and even if someone does need an opioid, let's say, which sometimes people need that, that they should have the natural strategies intertwined or integrated in with that opioid. And that opioid should be the lowest dose for the shortest period of time as you're doing those other, um, other factors. So for me, there would be obviously a functional nutrition training. There would probably be some type of, uh, of training on what I call the brain in pain or what happens to the brain when you have chronic pain. And then last but not least, um, there'd be some type of, of movement aspect in the training. And then there's always a, 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 por a portion of coaching skills that um, clinicians have to get better at. So kind of the coaching skills, the communication, um, what are the tools that we're using to evaluate and, and treat someone and reevaluate them as they're going through their, their um, pain journey. So in, in preparation from that, for that, I guess, what is, what is your biggest area of study right now? Like, what are you really diving into uh, to, to really learn about, to get better at for maybe for yourself, for your patients, so that you can just help share that uh, with the world? Yeah, the biggest thing, I mean, I've, I, you know, I'm certified in functional medicine, so I really have the nutrition dialed in. And obviously, you know, having a DPT, you have the pain science and the movement. For me, I've really started to, to delve into the genetics behind um, chronic pain and how some of the, what are, how our genes dictate kind of the chronic pain experience or the sensations that people feel with pain. Um, it's fascinating. It's everything from obviously how your thoughts upregulate or downregulate certain genes to how nutritional aspects um, regulate inflammation throughout your body. Um, so those are the things that I'm, I'm delving into. And what's really fascinating about um, some of the genetic factors is that we're just starting to learn about things like SNPs or single nucleotide polymorphisms that happen in certain people versus others. And it's, it's really so new that, you know, I have to keep on top of it almost on a weekly basis and, and read, you know, some of the research as well as, you know, maybe find, you know, the PhD out there that is giving a course that has some of the research, you know, kind of in their desk draw that they have yet to really share with, you know, the rest of the world. Okay, then if you could pick, say, five people, uh, like in a personal mastermind uh, right now, who, <laughs> no, who would they be? Because I'm curious, like, okay, are they going to be all people looking at uh, just genetics and pain? Or are you going to try and pull from others to be able to just, hey, have them on speed dial, call them up and just uh, be able to pick their brain? Yeah, that's an awesome question. Um, and I love masterminding. So the top five people. Um, and by the way, this could be dead or alive. Like yeah, you know, anywhere was, across uh, history even. Yeah, I was thinking about the dead part too. Um, <laughs> well, there's a physician out there and his, his, his name escapes me right now, but he's, he's done a lot of research into the genetic genetics of, of the human body and, and some of it revolves around pain. So I, I would bring him and I can't, his name just skips my mind right now because I've seen them mostly in research papers. Yeah. Um, you know, I think some of the top pain scientists, whether it's Adrian Lowe or uh, Laura Mosley, um, and I've had an opportunity to interview some of the, the people who have gone through like their, their PhD training, have some really fascinating things going on um, in the world of pain science. I think bring someone in on the spiritual level would be, would be huge because um, I think the one thing that we really don't talk about is, is kind of how purpose and passion and spirituality is involved in pain and the pain experience. Um, so Marianne Williamson is, is a woman who teaches something um, called, she teaches the, the foundational principles of something called A Course in Miracles, which teaches general spiritual practices and how they relate to your life. So those, those are things like love and forgiveness, 
um, compassion. And I think those can be really key things in working with people, especially who have pain. Now, have you taken that course from her? I, so I've read her books. Mm-hmm. Um, and she actually teaches every Tuesday in New York City um, for about an hour and a half. So I go to her lectures every Tuesday and I hear her lecture on, on kind of these spiritual principles. Oh, cool. um, and I, you know, like I said before, I think they're really key for people who have pain because people who are in pain, they've, they've typically have struggled for oftentimes years in finding a solution. They're frustrated. Some of them are angry at the system or they're angry at the practitioner who couldn't help them or they're angry at themselves for not making positive lifestyle choices. Um, some of them have been through awful things in their in their past, whether it's you know emotional abuse or physical abuse or sexual abuse, and at times those things come up up, in, up into treatment. So I think the the spiritual part is interesting because I don't really talk about this on podcasts, but I think the spiritual aspect of bringing that into practice can be really influential in, in helping someone. Um, so she'd be probably the third. Um, the fourth would be my personal coach. His name is David Asimanning. Um, he's a PhD psychologist and he's done some really great, uh, work around helping people develop, um, kind of break down their blueprint barriers as well as, you know, develop their own personal philosophy on what their life and what their mission is. Um, you can go online and Google him. He's got a great website called synchromind.com. Um, what is that for? Do I have one other left? Uh, number five, um, it would probably be someone from the functional medicine or, or functional nutrition world. Uh, probably Jeffrey Bland. He, he's probably the, the, the forerunner in that world. I'd probably like to have him in a room and just talk to him about um, how he developed fun- the functional medicine model. Um, and it, it interests me to develop models around things that we really don't have a model for. Like we still don't really have a wonderful model for chronic pain yet. Um, so that would be something I'd like to kind of pick his brain about. I, I think that's an awesome idea, actually. Like you said, the, the model of it all. Like we have lots of different pieces of it but Mm -hmm. you you just brought up a great point like the spiritual aspect like all right well that part of the model has is is it addressed yes but as a singularity it's not addressed as the whole as as that entire model going forward so i think just looking at that i i love that you have that well-rounded like okay here are a bunch of different people who can all help to form that model and maybe somebody who is really good at forming that model in general. So that's, that's a really good way to look at it. Yeah. I mean, I think when you look at, especially in our practice where you see so much musculoskeletal pain and I read a study recently on how people's job satisfaction correlates with their musculoskeletal pain. So you have to start to say to people, okay, you're having pain at work. Is it from your chair? Well, maybe, maybe not. I mean, obviously we have people who sit, 12 days, uh, you know, 12 hours a day and have no pain at all. And you have other people who sit two hours a day and have a lot of pain. So is it the chair? Is it your sedentary behavior? Or is it that when you arrive at work that day, you just don't like your job, you don't like your boss, you don't like what you're doing, it has no purpose in your life, it's not your passion. And how does that relate to your pain experience? That might be one of the biggest things I think we've talked about today. Uh, no, I, I think that's a really cool, like I always think of how does happiness play in, um, j- just as a whole though, like, but I never thought about it just from the standpoint of, oh wow, it might not be that you just sit in front of a computer. You might be fine sitting in front of a computer all day if you are just like drooling over what you're doing, just mm-hmm. absolutely diving into geeking out on it versus you're waiting for that clock to ring. You're just like staring at it and it's going at half speed just because you want to get out of there so badly. 
Yeah, it, it's funny because I, I was reading some of these studies and there were, there were some themes that came up. One was, does someone actually like their job? Do they find passion and purpose in it? The other was, do they have a boss or you know a higher up, so to speak, that they connect with that feels like they're improving on their skills at work or helping them on a career transition? And the other thing I really found interesting was that if someone has a, a coworker that's bullying, so a coworker that's kind of combative and argumentative and doesn't work well with you, that pain can be an issue. So, you know, you start to look at those three things. And, you know, again, we don't need to obviously, um, you know, talk to patients about an hour, you know, for, for an hour about this one topic. But you may say, hey, what, what's your work situation like? Do you like your job? You know, how's your relationship with your boss? Do you find that it's copacetic or do you find it's kind of, you know, you're kind of constantly on, on pins and needles being around him? And do you have coworkers that are supportive? And some of those things, you know, very highly correlate with people's pain, you know, neck pain, back pain, um, you know, all sorts of joint pain that they describe and they, they talk about during their typical workday. So then, Joe, what's, what's your definition of happiness? What just puts that smile on your face day in and day out? So for me, my def- definition of happiness is, is having kind of, you know, a purpose and a mission that I really love and that I find that kind of feeds my soul. Um, and then it's, for me, it's finding kind of the five friends or family that I have around me that are always supportive as well as kind of those five, um, five people in my profession, so to speak, that are on the same path as I am. And then just working on those things and seeing that kind of change in progress in my life. I think there's nothing worse than when you're stuck in your life, whether you're stuck in a job or whether you're stuck in your personal beliefs, or whether you're stuck um, making the same salary, I think that when you have this change, you know, the human body, like you said before, the human body loves change. So for me, if if I have just the right amount of change, um, that really makes me happy on a daily basis. I like that you bring up change because people often fight change. It's it's a negative thing. It's, It's hard to change. But change is what keeps us going forward. Like that's what keeps progressing us, whether it be our, our physical bodies, our, our, our minds, like the mental aspect, but it's, it's really kind of what pushes us. And it's, it's fun to be able to challenge yourself and to keep going forward because if you just become stagnant, I mean, that, that can be that pain that can be just that cell death, even like just the no more going forward. It's just, everything just becomes sedentary. Everything slows down, stops, and you don't get to progress uh, on a cellular basis, on a, and a, and a human basis, just on that, even that spiritual basis that we're talking about, just going forward, uh, with the rest of your life. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, all of us there in all of us, there are times that we don't like change. What I've become com- more comfortable with is kind of that daily struggle that, you know, probably once a day, there's something comes up that you wish could be better, or you wish you could change it, or you wish you could improve it. And just becoming comfortable with that change can be a really huge thing where so much, in, especially in physical therapy, we're so focused on goals. All right, you know, what's the four-week goal? What's the eight-week goal? What's the, <laughs> what's the goal this week? And those are really important. And obviously, sometimes we need that to get reimbursed for insurance. But there are so many little things that we have to be comfortable with first, some of those little struggles um, that we have to be comfortable with as practitioners as well as patients as well as just you know human beings functioning on a daily basis and when you get comfortable with that with that uncomfortableness i think is when the magic starts to happen because there have definitely been periods in my life where i was very uncomfortable with change and i didn't want to change and i didn't want to take on new projects and you know you kind of put yourself into you put yourself into this corner 
where you can't you can't back up any further. So the only place to go after that is forward. And I think we see that in so many patients that okay, you've stopped moving, you know, you're you're depressed, you're sad, you don't go out anymore, you don't exercise, you know, your diet's poor. There's nowhere else to go now except forward. And you know, you may have to be a little uncomfortable saying, you know what, I can't have that, you know, frappuccino thing I used to have in the morning that probably had 500 calories and full of sugar. So I'm going to be uncomfortable with those cravings for a day or two, but then I'm going to feel so much better. So the same principles we apply in our own life, you have to kind of walk the walk and you start to apply those principles in your patient's life as well. I think there's nothing worse than a clinician that, that, that doesn't kind of walk their walk where they're talking about exercise, they're talking about nutrition, and then, you know, their weekend is just a, a bomb of, you know, sitting on the couch and, eat, and eating Cheetos, so to speak. Uh, yeah, I couldn't agree more with uh, the not only the talk and the talk, but walk and the walk. Like, hey, if, if you're promoting health in any way, if you're a healthcare practitioner in any way, you should be exuding health. Uh, and if you're not at where you want to be, like we're talking about, hey, change. You can mm-hmm. make the change just like your patients can. If you're making that change, they're going to, even if you're not that healthy right now, they're going to be so much more on board with you just because you're trying to progress yourself and get to that healthiest point in your life, uh, wherever that is, that there's going to be a lot of help going on for everybody involved then. Yeah. And when I say walk the walk, I, I want to make this a clear point too. It's not to say that as healthcare practitioners and, and you know me as an individual that I'm perfect, there are some weeks I don't exercise the way I should be exercising. There are some weeks where my stress is too high. There are some weeks where you know I, I fall on some of the diet, the diet and nutrition strategies. But when I say walk the walk, it means I'm on the same struggle and path as you are. Or I'm trying different things. Some weeks I just look at myself in the mirror and I'm like, God, you got to do better this week. And other weeks I feel like you know a million bucks. And I'm like, Hey, I did everything right this week. I feel great. I feel energized. Uh, my head's clear. And I'm feeling strong and I have no pain. But, I, you know, it's a journey that we're all on, whether it's, you know, about health or about, you know, making those those positive changes and habits in your life. So I'm curious, uh, talking about like the spiritual part here with going to these lectures from Marianne, like what are some of the things that you've uh, learned from her, the changes that you've implemented just from reading her books, going to some of the lectures? Like what has the, how has that impacted your life? Yeah, I really pulled you in on that spiritual part, Nick, huh? <laughs> well, that's something that I'm always intrigued by, though, too. Yeah. I think that, as you said, like it's part of maybe that model of the, the chronic pain that can be overlooked. So I'm curious, yeah, how has that really had a dramatic impact for you? And maybe other people can pick up on, hey, something you say, or it might spark something in them. It's like, wow, I, I am missing something here, too. Yeah, I mean, for me, so I'll give you the first, uh, as a clinician, um, there was a period of time where I was extremely frustrated and I would say angry with quote unquote the system. And now I don't take insurance. I have a direct practice, but there was a while where I took insurance and had to deal with the authorizations and the paperwork and the denials. And, you know, as physical therapists, we know that all that takes a, a, a lot of time from the, the care. We could take that time and, and turn it into care for a patient. So I kind of was very angry at the system. Um, and then I realized that that anger was not serving me in any way, really. It was probably destroying my health in a lot of ways. And it probably wasn't, just, it probably wasn't helping my you know, patient-practitioner relationship. So in some ways, I'm sure that anger showed up in my life, even though no one actually said it to me. I'm sure it was there. So 
those spiritual practices, when you look at spiritual practices, no matter what they are, whether you're, you're Catholic, Jewish, Muslim, forgiveness oftentimes comes up into that, into, into that language, into that vocabulary. So for me, it was like, okay, this is the system I'm working right now. I'm going to forgive that this system is obviously not ideal and it's not helping people. And once I did that, once I kind of gave into a little bit of forgiveness, all of a sudden something else kind of opened up in my life. And that's where I kind of had this bigger mission. It was like, okay, if I know this system isn't working, it's not the best system, then what part do I have or what role should I be playing along with you and along with everyone else who's trying to make the system better? What role do I have to make that system better on a daily basis? And that's when I said, you know what? I'm going to write a book. I'm going to start a blog. I'm going to start a podcast. And I can't change this alone. I look at it as we're kind of like one mind. You know, if I could change everything by myself, that would make me, you know, kind of holier than thou or, or, or you know, the highest of the, on the spiritual chain. And I look at it like I'm just part of one brain. I'm part of a larger movement. And we're all moving in that direction. But for me, it really started with that forgiveness aspect. Because if I would have stayed angry at, you know, the physicians for not referring the patients to me first before they went to surgery or before they tried an opioid or the insurance company for the denials. If I would have stayed in that for, you know, my career, I'm, I'm sure I probably eventually would have left because it would have, you know, wore me down, but it didn't serve me and it didn't serve my patients in any way. No, that, that I appreciate you sharing that because I think that allowing us to, to, to just forgive uh, whatever things that are coming up in our life, really will allow for a lot of clarity uh, and a lot of healing to be able to take place then too. Yeah, and, and when we look at the patient side of it, there have been some, some great studies done on, on patients having to forgive themselves actually. That forgiveness of self was at times the most important factor in someone healing their chronic pain or their chronic health, health condition. So when you talk about forgiveness of self, it's like, okay, well maybe I shouldn't have taken up smoking when I was 15 and I'm now 40 and I'm still smoking. And, you know, I could potentially put myself in the, the path of, let's say, cancer. Or, you know, I know I shouldn't have been eating, you know, fast food every day. Let me now try to get myself on, you know, that better path. Um, so forgiveness, is, forgiveness for me is a big thing. I talk about it a lot to patients. I try to practice it in my life. Um, the other factor that I learned through some of these spiritual practices was the concept of time. And how that time is really kind of a relative factor. And, you know, we know this from physics and from Einstein. But again, when you're in your daily life and you're in that daily grind and you're focused on, okay, when's the next patient coming in? I have to get this patient finished before the next patient comes in. And the insurance company only gave me eight visits. So I have a, a time factor of only eight visits. Or let's say that that's maybe four weeks if they're coming in twice a week to get them better. So I've kind of loosened up my own perception of what time is and how it constrains not only my personal goals, but my goals with patients as well. I, I like it. I like it. Uh, as you said, Einstein, I think, uh, <laughs> he was hitting some things on the right head there with, uh, the concept of time then too. Yeah. I mean, I think especially if you're accepting insurance as a practitioner, you're going to get, you know, you're going to get that letter that says we're giving you eight visits. And, you know, as a, as, as a, physical therapist, you want to help every single patient that comes in. You want their pain to be absolutely zero. But there's ways to kind of take that piece of paper that says eight visits. Like, then you go and you sit down with your patient. You say, we only have eight visits. You may or you may not be 100% at that, at that time. 
when we get to the end of the eight visits, let's talk about how you're feeling. Let's reevaluate you. You may need to come back in and that may, may, may need to be a cash-based service or we may need to put you in a group setting or you may need to go do your exercises for four weeks on your own and then come back in for a checkup once every other month. It really, when you start to look at time differently, it starts to expand your, your entire mind and change the way you practice on a lot of different types of levels. And I think that can go whether you're accepting the insurance or even cash-based because other times people are just coming to you, they're like, here's $1,000, fix me. Like, yeah, or $10,000, whatever it is, they just want to buy their way out of it. But right. the, the concept of time still comes into play. It's, hey, this might have happened to you over a year, over 10 years, over your entire lifetime. Uh, it, unfortunately, it's not going to just be that quick fix, no matter how much you pour into it. Yeah, that's a really wonderful point. And I think when people come to us, we are our responsibility is to help shorten their learning curve and to teach them the strategies and the tools and the techniques and the habits that are going to make them better. But ultimately, and this this is another thing that came up as I started looking at kind of some of these spiritual practices, I'm not responsible for someone's health. I'm responsible for teaching you how to make you healthy again, how to heal your pain. But I'm not necessarily responsible for your outcome. You're responsible for your outcome. So it, it you know, and, and some people don't like to hear that initially. It, it kind of, they feel like, well, you're the quote unquote doctor. You know, you're calling yourself doctor, so you should be able to fix me. And it's like, you know, let's let's go arm in arm. I'm going to take you through this journey. But ultimately, when we get to the end of this journey, it's up to you to kind of take your, you continue on that journey so you heal 100%. I, I, I think that's uh, an awesome way to look at it. So, I mean, Joe, I, I want to be respectful of your time here. Hey, we've been geeking out on all this stuff, uh, <laughs> loving it for sure. A uh, couple last things that I ask everybody who comes on the show. One is... Who would you want to hear on this podcast and what is it that you would want to hear them talk about or like what's something specific that you would want to ask them? Hmm. Well, you know, we, we've talked a lot about Marianne Williamson today, which is really interesting because I'd like to get her on my own podcast. So, hey, if you can get her on your podcast, more, more power to you. She's, she's quite a busy lady. Um, you ha- you I, have your own on the show. What's, what's like the one thing you yeah. want to get from her? The one thing I would ask her is... It's a tough question, Nick, because it's a lot. She's she's a pretty powerful lady. I would ask her what she see. What is her view of what the root cause of pain is in in the client she's seen, and how does she how does she deal with it? Because she works primarily from that spiritual level. So I know she's been. I know she's seen patients who have been through everything, and she's like the ultimate ultimate last stop. So I'd like to know how she, how she looks at pain and how she heals it from a more spiritual level. I think that would be awesome to uh, hear really anybody kind of dive into that who's really on that spiritual level. Uh, So, hey, Dr. Joe, in closing, where can the listeners find more about you, more about the book as it comes out, more about even, hey, the Institute uh, being worked on in the future, uh, and what can they do just to help help you out best? Yeah, so they can check me out on my website at drjoetata.com. That's D-R-J-O-E. T-A-T-T-A.com. I have a great podcast there called The Healing Pain Podcast, as well as some great blogs. And especially for your viewers, Nick, I have a, a special gift today. So if they go to healyourpainnow.com slash Nick, there's a special resource there about the myths that persist around chronic pain and how you can learn about them and decrease your own pain sensation in your body. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for that. Uh, I, I really do appreciate that. I think people, hey, 
go check this out. I mean, these are just simple little tips I'm sure that can have dramatic impact uh, on your body as well as I've listened to a bunch of the episodes of the podcast there that you've done like had some awesome people just getting to learn from so many wonderful other minds and what they have to share. Uh, so, hey, be sure checking out the book when it comes out. Dr. Joe Tata, thank you again so much for the talk today. Thank you, Nick. It's been a great conversation. I'm glad we touched on so many different levels today. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to head over to BarenakedHealthPodcast.com to check out the show notes for today's episode. While you're there, go to my calendar and schedule a 15-minute call so we can discuss what is your biggest struggle when it comes to maintaining your health. Remember that I'm a holistic lifestyle coach and the show is sponsored by you guys. Each of you that I work with helps me to be able to put out podcasts like this for free. So thanks again for your love and support. Finally, if the show has helped you out in any way, please head over to iTunes to give the Bare Naked Health podcast a positive comment and five-star rating. This really goes a long way in getting the word out with how simple health can be and helping to share the podcast with others. So thank you. Mm-hmm.